Electric bicycles are my jam. I'm turning into a nut for a good e-bike. It's easy to get around, we save gas not driving our car for short trips to the store, and I'm getting a little extra exercise. The folks at Velotrick are sponsoring a series of videos on my channel to show off some affordable e-bikes and help people get up to speed. It's easier than you think, and prices have never been more competitive. You can catch those videos on my YouTube channel, but if you're interested in shopping an e-bike, head over to velotrick.bike slash some gadget guy and look at their road bikes and fat tires. Again, V-E-L-O-T-R-I-C dot B-I-K-E slash some gadget guy. Velatric dot bike slash some gadget guy. If any of those bikes look good to you, you can save an additional $60 off an already low price by using the coupon code SOMEGADGET60, SOMEGADGET60 at checkout. Once again, Velatric dot bike slash some gadget guy and coupon code SOMEGADGET60. And I thank Velatric for being a sponsor on this show. I believe this means we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. I'm Juan Carlos Bagnell, a.k.a. some gadget guy, the SGG of this terribly named podcast, but the QA is not only the most important part every week, it is the most critical part this week. It's the last Monday of the month, January is already done. That is blowing my mind. 2023 is flying by. And I, I like I needed to just pause <laughs> for just a second to let me catch up from time to time. Want to throw a shout out to uh, Magus Magus Zayad uh, saying good morning, everybody. Subscribed for five months over on the Twitch. Thank you so much for the subscription and for supporting the podcast. Uh, this is the last Monday of the month. Um, we're gonna we're gonna kind of casual wrap up chat. I'm not gonna be super strict with my news block and my subreddit plug and my gadget block, and we're gonna kind of let the the chat just go. And uh, boy, howdy, if you were in the sort of pre-show, the, the waiting room, I think I got to give up on lo-fi. So I, I use Restream just to kind of send out the video feeds for the podcast. And they've got their own plugin. It's really helpful. It's a really helpful plugin. I can have some background music going. And usually I go lo-fi because it's kind of got like a chill groove. Last couple times we've done lo-fi, it's either been really strange, discordant, like, Philip Glass composition, which is unsettling, or it's been like super mega ultra sleepy time. I feel good lo-fi music should be just energizing and distracting enough that you can work to it. This was like plucky harp and guitar, doodly-doo, 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 and like I'm in my comfy PJs from a PJ podcast. This is putting me back to sleep. I need a show where I'm going to I'm going to like have a fun conversation, not nap time at 9 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> yeah, Gary the Fireman JCB looks too comfy <laughs> in his PJs. All right, we got a first time chat from Resident Novice. Um let's see what he says in Juan's voice. But sometimes when we say casual, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, casual for me means where, where we would normally really be hyping up the first uh, first 
three quarters <laughs> um, of the podcast with like news and tech politics and stuff like that. We're, we're going to hang out. And also, I, I want to chat Samsung because we are right before the Samsung onslaught. Our YouTube feeds are about to be decimated by people that have already been using the Galaxy S23 for a couple weeks. I am absolutely not one of those people on the list because Samsung PR, yada, yada, yada. Um, oh, but I want to highlight this. Hey, Purposely Gaming is is uh, definitely shouting this out too. We got a hype train going on on the Twitch right now. Gary the Fireman gifting two tier two subs to Kenox80 and Dustadore. Jman150, you are not late. You are right on time. So thank you so much. So Hype Train, we're building to level two. If you'd like to come join us on the Twitch and uh, we can kind of keep that moving, that would be really, really cool. So uh, let me get this out of the way right here. Uh, Get that. Okay. So, oh, and Hawks, what's up? Good morning. Hope everyone is having a good morning. I hope you're having a great morning too. So, Gary the Fireman, wow, that's bold. He's just F Sammy. And he really typed F. He he kept it PG thirteen adjacent. I, I I'm uh I'm do is that where we want to start? I, I hope everybody had a lovely weekend. We got a little bit more rain. The rain kept me up last night. It was really strange. I it kept, sounded like someone was walking in my bedroom. The little platter pitter sounds off of our stonework really freaked me out last night. So I'm going to be kind of loopy and over-caffeinated, which is, which is great. <laughs> it's the best kind of, of energy to have for a pajama podcast. I'm, I'm going to be all over the place. Oh, and Hawks, it's raining over there too. Barry Johnson has given us the okay. Uh, Barry Johnson uh, has, has, has confirmed. I mean, we went, we went for citation needed, and Barry is citation given, that we should start on Samsung. Um, I'm really anxious. I, uh, I'm not feeling great about where we're kind of headed for some of... Uh, again, I'm speaking mostly as an American, North America. The United States is a region where smartphones are not shipped and sold. Um, I'm feeling really anxious. I, I, I hope I am wrong, and I hope... What is directly sold to American consumers is is more exciting than what it's going to look like. But I'm really anxious. What what are people's feelings out there? I want to start off really kind of focusing here. Excuse me, um, coffee burp there. I really want to focus on what oh, uh, on how the chat is feeling and and what what some of your thoughts are. We are what unpacked is Wednesday right? The Samsung Unpacked. So there's an event in San Francisco. A bunch of our friends are going to be going to cover it. I'm not heading up to San Francisco. Uh, Samsung would never give me an invite. Anyway, um, there's going to be a lot of action. There's going to be a lot of activity. And this is like the big harvest season for American tech channels. Like it kind of doesn't matter what any other brand does. You don't get your clicks until you can start packing every single video with keywords Apple and Samsung, and Samsung versus Apple, and Samsung, how they're beating OnePlus, and Samsung, how they're the best, and Samsung versus Pixel, and all all of those things that the YouTube algorithm cares about, because again, it's packing the keywords for the most popular topics on YouTube, but I feel like we've kind of burnt out the audience on a lot of these conversations. 
So, um, Galaxy S23 is going to get announced. Something tells me Samsung is going to have a very quick turnaround from pre-order to shipping because they're already getting their clocked clean, cleaned internationally. Uh, like where we are with BBK brands. Vivo just like stormed the gate with Snapdragon 8 Gen 2s. The iQ11 is just a monster performer internationally. Uh, we've got a couple people in this chat that are playing with the Vivo X90 for like a premier photography experience. And we know Xiaomi is like right on their heels too. Samsung now feels like a pokey third or fourth place in the kind of grand Android ecosystem. So uh, we got a comment here from Gorm Lord. Uh, let's go ahead and read this. I used to be excited for new galaxies. Now they're just the boring, gray, standard, boring, oatmeal of boring IMO, of course. Um, uh, <laughs> the standard oatmeal gray. You know, you can spruce up some oatmeal, though. And, and, I, and, I, and I'd love for us to, to be specific, too, because I think in the United States, the Galaxy S23 Ultra is going to be a really good phone. I don't think it's going to be the bestest for every single situation that it might encounter, but I think it's going to be really good. Um, I'm most concerned. I think Samsung is most vulnerable on the standard S23 and S23 Plus, and these should not be called S-series phones. The S23 and S23 Plus should be their own separate line, and the Ultra should be called something else because they are fundamentally different products. And I really don't like this game that Samsung plays where most of the messaging is going to be on the Ultra. Most of the reviews, most of the videos, most of the focus is going to be on the Ultra. It's going to be on the Note. And that's not going to be the experience that someone gets when they walk into a carrier store and they get the less expensive S23 that's a fundamentally different piece of hardware. I don't like that game, playing that game with branding. Barry Johnson, I am extremely worried about Samsung. I am hoping they can pull off some competitive magic against the one-inch sensor competitors. Who was it that just posted on, on Twitter? It was Neil. Uh, Neil put up a question. Um, uh, what, 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 did, what did he say? D uh, blah, 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 blah. What are your thoughts about the 200 megapixel camera? Game-changing or gimmick? Do you think you will notice a difference in day-to-day -day shots? Answer below. And you're like, if you're really trying to maximize the bestest smartphone camera photography, the resolution isn't the hook. That unbend 200 megapixels, that's a... I've, I've yet to see where that practically changes the quality of HDR performance. I, I don't know if anyone would agree with me in this chat, but when we're talking about that consumer point-and-shoot, pull your phone out of your pocket, hit the shutter button, maybe you don't even tap to focus, I still kind of feel the best flavor of that HDR comes from Google. And that flavor of HDR is perfectly manageable on a Pixel 6a, which has a traditional 12-megapixel camera sensor. There's nothing fancy or pixel binning about it. So when we're talking about 200 megapixels, that's a pixel binning arrangement that you should be able to get better highlights, better lowlights, better dynamic range. And it fundamentally doesn't seem to outperform the color, contrast, and shadow detail of a Pixel 6a. It's different, 
but I wouldn't say it's better. So why are we jumping through all these hoops to do what what is what is 200 megapixels? Is that that's not a nanocell. That's got to be what did they call that a tetracell, a quad? So it's 16 by six, uh, it's a 16 pixel grid so that you get the square. I mean, again, Samsung's going to give us a 25, a 5 by 5 at some point with the most ridiculously tiny subpixels so that then we can have a bigger binned pixel. It I don't like the marketing on that. Ha Sam says, I am curious for the OnePlus 11 and S23 comparison. Uh, right now, I can hold up the OnePlus 11. And now I'm going to put it back down again. <laughs> There's going to be so much to talk about on that OnePlus 11. And unfortunately, I am under an embargo. <laughs> um, resident novice, how about note? I really wish they were still calling the phone a Note. The S22 Note, or excuse me, the Note 22 was one of the best phones of 2022. That was a great phone. It it, it did a much better job of taming the Samsung Fabbed 8 Gen 1. The performance was solid. The features are spot on. We know what a Note is. We know what an S Pen is. We know what all those additional um, fun uh, add-ons resemble. I... I, I still have, oh, I don't, I think I set it aside, but I almost always have my note within arm's reach. It's charging right now. Oh, no, it's charging over here. <laughs> like my note four, this is still used in almost every production that I, I, uh, I, I shoot it. It's a teleprompter phone, but it's a note four. It's kind of amazing that it's not only doing the job, but it's one of the best options to do that job. I, I, I feel like S23 Ultra is going to be fine. I don't think it's going to be particularly exciting. I think it's going to be kind of a spec sheet nudge and it's going to benefit from having a better SOC. I hope it's going to benefit from having a TSMC SOC. But I feel like that leaves Samsung even more vulnerable where they've been in the worst shape for the S for the base model Galaxy S. The S21 was not a great phone. The S22 was a terrible phone. And now we get to the S23. I need to see that Samsung can make a nice $800 competitor to an iPhone 14. Which, if you're shopping in the Apple ecosystem, if you can't land an iPhone 13 Pro, I feel like the best phone you can get from Apple is the iPhone 14. The iPhone 14 Pro Max doesn't perform any better and that new chip draws more power for the same performance. We're talking about an almost 11 watt Apple A-series chip. That is not great shape for Apple, which has let Qualcomm and MediaTek catch up like gangbusters. In, In a single year, we're seeing SOCs in Android radically close the gap on all of the perceived performance improvements and benefits of the Apple Silicon and I'd be like, this 8 Gen 2 is an absolute screamer. I'm really hoping I can get my hands on a MediaTek, a Dimensity 9200 soon. Um, but yes, Marilyn, completely agree. The Ultra should still be the Note. And if, if you want to call it something, because I understand like Samsung kind of let the word Note get diluted. Um, whatever IP or copyright or trademark. That's the word I was looking for. Any kind of trademark disputes 
that Samsung might have had, a bunch of companies came out with Note phones. So I understand that they wanted to kind of keep it labeled to a specific product line that they could better control the trademark on Galaxy S. You're not going to have another company come out with a Galaxy S phone. Um, but I feel like they should have called it the Galaxy S23 Note, not the Galaxy S23 Ultra. Something that delineated that this is a fundamentally different product than the rest of the S's. Um, oh, Dustadori can't stay long, but he's just popping in to say, hey, well, I'm, I'm glad you could, you could drop by. Uh, Cash, Samsung executives. We don't want to use a one-inch sensor because it will affect the physical dimensions of our phones. What is the 200 megapixel that's going in? Is it 1 over 1.2? Is it 1 over 1.28? Because it's bigger than a third inch. Or is it 1 over 1.12? I can't remember. I mean, it's so close that fundamentally it shouldn't be that much different than a one inch sensor. But I'm telling you, having shot on this Xiaomi, this 12S Ultra... And just go into the proper one inch, slightly larger than a than a traditional one inch sensor. It's bigger than super sixteen millimeter film. Um, I don't think you say super sixteen millimeter. You just say super sixteen. Uh, there are feature films that are shot on super sixteen. <laughs> like that is an an insane metric to finally hit in a pocketable uh, pocketable computer experience. Um, I really wish Samsung had an answer. That Sony, the IMX989, is a humongous, it's, it's a watershed. It's a, it's a high watermark. It's a, it's a transition. It's now we've set a new standard. I don't know that smartphone cameras can get better for the foreseeable future. That sensor has now crossed us over into an optical competitor that is just stunning. So I'm sure Samsung will do very good, but I don't see any opportunities to sell that one-inch sensor here in the United States right now. I don't think Motorola is going to bring it. I don't think Google's going to switch over now. I think they're going to ride... It's still a fantastic sensor, the sensor that's in the Pixel 7 Pro, but I don't know that they're going to swap that out because they have such a tight relationship with Samsung. If a Pixel gets an upgrade, it's probably gonna be a Samsung part for the foreseeable future. And maybe a Pixel 8 Pro gets this 200 megapixel sensor. I don't think they're gonna switch over to Sony. I think they're gonna stick with Samsung there. So it's, it's tricky. Um, I think right now, the only ways that you can get this one inch sensor is if you import BBK or Xiaomi. And that's a bummer because that is a distinct competitive advantage. I, uh, I'll be curious to see if maybe Sony brings it over. It would be nice to see Sony use their best sensor in one of their really expensive premium phones. I, I, I don't want to discount that, that maybe now is the right time to look at doing a Pro i2, another Xperia, really expensive phone, but something that maximizes Sony's expertise in, uh, in traditional photography and especially their video capabilities. Like if you could give me an IMX 989 with a high readout, so you could do 4K 120 off of that one inch sensor with a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 would be incredible. 
pause for dramatic effect. All right. Uh, Sore Hunter. Yeah, the regular S and S Plus should be in the A line. <laughs> but that way, Samsung would not be able to charge the premium on launch, nor can they remove the A7X for the S23 FE. Um, I feel like they have shot themselves in the foot. You have the A line, which should represent the, the mainstream daily driver, Toyota Corolla. They're great phones. And I think the A, what is it, the A14 that's coming out? has been getting some really early positive reviews for being just a solid daily driver, communicator kind of experience. But you have the A50s, the A70s, they discontinued the A90s, they got the S, the S+, Plus, the S Ultra, the SFE, and I feel Samsung should probably look at simplifying this. I, I feel, it, as Barry would say in regards to OnePlus, it's a very complicated timeline trying to figure out all of the permutations of Samsung smartphones and devices. And I feel they really need to whittle down focus and then make, if it's a, if it's a premium tier phone, it's got these premium tier features. And what differentiates that from an iPhone? Because right now, there's a gap. There's a gap between where Samsung sells the most, sub $400, and where Apple is most competitive, above $800. And that's where OnePlus is going to come in and deliver one of the best experiences for the price. Because I bet you that OnePlus 11 is going to land really close to the iQ 11. The iQ 11 is a $650 phone. That is shockingly good hardware against an $800 iPhone 14. So Samsung is super vulnerable in the space in what I call sort of starter premium. It's not really a mid-ranger, and it's definitely not a flagship killer, but once you climb above $600, you're kind of in a new premium segment, and you're making fewer compromises to build quality, display quality, graphics processing, thermal regulation, another area where Samsung has been pretty weak. Um, that performance is, is pretty killer. Um, do, do, do. Twin Folk Tech. They are so similar, it makes no sense to purchase the S23s over the S22s. You know, that's a bold take. I feel, Twin Folk, that I might disagree with you. If we're talking about the Ultras, I think I'd agree with you. But if we're talking about the standard S23, I'm really hoping that the rumors about a Samsung fabbed overclocked chip for their own phones are not true. When Samsung was making the 8 Gen 1, its process was not mature enough to really give us the efficiency of that core design. And that's why so many 8 Gen 1s could kind of struggle. It took Some companies handled it better than others. Samsung handled it about the worst. Out of all of the premium tier phones of last year, my worst performance experiences were on the Galaxy S22 plane, <laughs> the S22 Plus or the S22 Ultra. But that plane S22 was getting outperformed by like my Pixel 5 with a Snapdragon 765 in things like video rendering. That's a bad look. Um, if the S23 demonstrates some of that chip improvement so that it's not running as hot and the performance is more stable, that to me would be 
a good enough reason to consider a more expensive S23 over an S22 on sale. I, I really feel like Samsung has done a huge disservice to that starter premium tier, the seven to $800 market where people will use it. And then it doesn't really do anything better. It seems to run warm in my pocket and then the battery life isn't as good. Well, I've tried the best Android and all those YouTubers were saying that it's the best Android because I only watched videos about the S22 Ultra and not the actual S22 but they're the same name, so they must be the same phone. Well, I guess I've tried all the best Androids. It's time for me to just go to an iPhone. It just works. And that's what Samsung has done. They've done permanent damage to the perception of a premium Android handset. And you don't have to go far to find phones that significantly and better uh, perform better um, and often perform better for cheaper. But now it's a messaging game where that consumer who's going to have most of their relationship with a carrier store isn't going to have access to that kind of information. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping those things like performance and battery life get better. If Samsung is making their own flavor of the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, or even if Samsung can't tame the overclocked version of the 8 Gen 2, then the S23 is kind of dead in the water as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Bryant Billing, I went from the Note 20 Ultra to the S21 Ultra to the S22 Ultra in the last two, two and a quarter years. If the rumors are true, this is the least excited I've been. We'll see if the, if the added megapixels improve zoom as they're hinting, but there's, uh, did, I, did I lose you, Bryant? I can't see where the rest of that comment might've gone to or if this is just a restream thing. Um, sorry, man. I was going to kind of wrap that all up there, but um, I, 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 I'm frustrated because I want to, we, we know that 2023 is actually going to be one of the years that is most exciting for the practical application of all of this new tech. The HN2, the Dimensity 9200, in very specific cases, the Tensor 2, and less so the Apple A-series, the um what is it? The A16 Bionic? I can't. Anyway, <laughs> all of this tech is kind of arriving at a better performance per watt, better power efficiency. It's better for gaming, some really exciting stuff. But at the same time, we also know that this is probably going to be one of the worst years for consumer electronics sells, sales, selling, for selling this stuff. Um, we we kind of know that a lot of these industries are on a downturn after two years of global pandemic and people buying more tech than they've ever bought before. We're good. I mean, look at look around at your family and friends. Like they are kind of oversupplied for the, the daily lifestyle tech that they really need now that things are kind of opening up again. And now that businesses are sort of demanding more people come back to work in the office we need to factor in for an economic downturn of lower consumer electronic sales. And that's a bummer because if this had happened, if this quality of tech had arrived last year, we would have been set up in really good shape. If we had eight gen two performance at the beginning of, I mean, this is a big, if wishes were horses, I'd have a stable. Um, but you know, if we had that, then consumers would have been set up. And it's kind of the same problem that I had with Apple land. Like, so many people jumped on the iPhone 12 because of all the promises of the 5G, but really the iPhone 13 was the proper realization 
of what an iPhone with better battery life and 5G support was going to look like. And it's still the best performer, and, it, and it's the best performer per watt of the Apple lineup, the, the iPhone 13 Pro. Even Apple has kind of fallen prey to this boom-bust, boom-bust, boom-bust of tech improvements. It's not every year we can demand the same uh, steady clockwork. You're going to give me 10% more CPU performance and 15% more GPU performance, and then you're also going to give me better battery life every single year, like clockwork. The tech doesn't work that way. So I feel like this would be a good year, even if your phone was more relatively purchased or more recently purchased, it might be a good year to kind of flip into a new phone for this year with the silicon really working the way that it's supposed to, the way that we wanted it to. Like if you have an 888 in your phone from 2020 um, or 2021, might be a, even though you could ride that phone out longer, an HN2 might be worth the transition. It might be worth trading it in and, and going for that other phone. If you have a Samsung Galaxy S22 or an S22 Plus, please get rid of it. This is the same recommendation I would have made to anyone who's on an iPhone 12. You do not have good battery life. You do not have good consistent performance. You do not have good sustained gaming performance. There is a, an immediately better phone in the next model over that I feel is worth the transition, the headache, the, the costs. Flip it and get the better phone. If you're really trying to use this stuff, don't stick with dogs like S22s and iPhone 12s. <sighs> Dustadori, high megapixel count hasn't really mattered that much since the Lumia 1020. Oh, I'm going to take a drink of coffee here real quick. Uh, it's gotten better. So I feel when you start going to these quad bend sensors, so like a Pixel 7 Pro has a 50 megapixel sensor. Google on the 7 Pro is finally using those little subpixels to do a better demosaic when you zoom. Basically, you get a better two-time zoom from the main sensor and you get a better 10-time zoom from the telephoto. I feel like that's a small benefit. It's a nice perk. It doesn't change, like if you had a Pixel 6 Pro, 6 Pro doesn't do that as well, but I don't know that it's enough of a change to warrant flipping your 6 Pro for a 7 Pro. Excuse me. If you like your 6 Pro, then you're doing fine. The better fingerprint sensor is a little nicer. Again, it's a little bit, little bits of evolution. It's not like a radically different experience. But it's nice. It's a nice little perk. Um, that, that kind of pixel resampling or crop zooming mattered so much more on the Lumia 1020 because it wasn't a pixel binning sensor. It was a traditional RGB array that when you cropped, you had the RGB, RGB, RGB. You weren't doing this little resubsampling. That 1020 is still like a hallmark, a museum phone to talk about what optics and photography uh, in your pocket can look like. Hey folks, are you getting bored of the current collection of tech and geek commentary on the internet? Is the discussion of new electronics feeling a bit stale? Do you want to find some fresh voices to add to your subscription queue? Check out the community on r glowing rectangles on Reddit. Now, this subreddit was built to help new voices in the tech community find more audience, and we need your support. Sharing, commenting, and those precious, tasty upvotes. Reddit can radically help a content creator expand their reach. 
Do you know a producer who deserves more attention? Do you just want to find fun new stuff? Head on over to reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles and share or browse to your heart's content. Once again, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles and let's build something cool together. Oh yeah, so purposely gaming. This is another this is another important perk because I'm coming at this from the United States market. I'm American. And so in America, we've, we've only handled this one flavor, but uh, Purposely Gaming says, I heard rumors that outside the USA, like here in the UK, we will get the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 as well now. So this could be an even bigger transition point for international Samsung owners because you're not dealing with an Exynos. I, it, it's just been the bane of Samsung's existence, and I think it's hilarious that everyone will try to say, well, it's comparable, or it's about the same, or you can't even really tell the difference. And then in South Korea, Samsung switched to selling the Qualcomm version of their own phones on their home turf. So that's how little confidence they had in their own practical SoC design. They weren't selling Exynos <laughs> in South Korea. They were selling Snapdragons. So now the rest of the world gets to finally experience the better flavor of a galaxy. And last year, the better flavor of a galaxy wasn't that much better. It was, it was, it was a dog. It, it was pretty bad. So I'm really hoping that even for an overclock or if they're making their own chip, that Samsung is at least able to execute better than where they were at the beginning of uh, 20, uh, 2022. I am way behind on this chat. Do, do, do. So, yes, this is what we don't know, though, Twin Folk. Twin Folk says Samsung has their specifically branded as 8 Gen 2 for Samsung. But I don't know if that means they're getting a better binned chip from TSMC and they're able to overclock it or if they're making their own 8 Gen 2. So if they're taking the design of the 8 Gen 2 and they're fabbing it at their own foundry... I would be really concerned about that process and that execution. If they're getting it from TSMC, I'm still concerned, but I'm a lot less concerned because the TSMC chips have proven to be outstanding performers. The 8 Plus Gen 1 and the 8 Gen 2. Fantastic. I mean, just immediately better. Performance per watt, running cooler, running uh, running harder, longer... Every test that I put them up against, it is just a better performing chip all the way around. To the point where Qualcomm even snipped a couple of my videos to have me like trash talk Google and Apple in one of their mashups, which was hilarious because they kind of like, they didn't throw me under the bus, but they kind of just nudged me into the bike lane. (laughs) It was like, we're not going to say that our chips are better than Google's, but this guy... (laughs) And it's a quote that is accurate, but it's taken just a little out of context. They caught this one piece of one of my videos where I'm like, Google doesn't have an answer for this type of graphics processing. But that was following this this explanation of how the Tensor is really good at chewing up video data. So if you have a Tensor 2, you can cut and render 4K 60 frame per second video neck and neck, slightly, just, I mean, like, margin of error territory, but even just slightly faster than an 8 Gen 2. The Tensor 2 is a monster at that kind of practical, creative workflow. But if you want a game, it's not close. The 8 Gen 2 is just slapping the Tensor 2 around 
silly. Like it's 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 just bad. But you just take the one little slice of Google doesn't have an answer for this type of graphics processing, and you've missed all of the lead up on all of the CPU and machine learning and image, the ISP, all of that. And it's a little incomplete <laughs> a conversation about what I was trying to talk about. Oh, it made me look funny. <laughs> Yeah, Marilyn, I completely agree. Absolutely, Galaxy S23 Note would work perfectly, and it would tell you exactly what that phone is. <sighs> it's so frustrating, because it's confusing. It confuses the consumer market, and it does a disservice to how we buy these products. Because you're going to see S22, and you're going to think they're all the same. And they're really not. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, have you tried gaming emulation on your devices? I really haven't spent much time emulating. So a, a major, I'm, I want to highlight, there are some channels that are doing phenomenal work benchmarking games, um, and benchmarking higher performance, uh, testing on phones. Um, I mean, Golden Golden Reviewer has been kind of charting Genshin Impact on various chipsets for a couple years now. Uh, Geeker One has really stepped up with like some of the best power consumption measurements when you're using high performance phones, and they've started doing this thing where they'll take Genshin Impact and then they'll sort of uh, I don't I don't know exactly how they're doing this, but there there are ways that you can. Um, uh, not jailbreak, where you can root your phone and then you can kind of expand the resolution that Genshin normally displays at. So everyone likes to point out, oh, well, if you're comparing Android to iOS, uh, iOS actually resolves a higher resolution version of the game. So it's not fair. Apple's doing more work, blah, 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 blah. Um, on one of their 8 Gen 2 reviews, they ran Genshin Impact at 4K on an 8 Gen 2. I mean, basically, we're talking about dedicated GPU performance, somewhere between a GTX 1050 and a 1060 in your pocket at, like, 7 watts. <laughs> if you could put a GTX 1060 into a, a, a tiny, super-thin laptop with, with a teeny, teeny, tiny battery, and you could get that kind of performance at only, like, 6 or 7 watts off the whole SoC... You would be really happy with that performance. That's how ridiculously OP our phones are. Like, if you're not gaming GTX 1060 levels, you've got a lot of compute power that's just sitting on the table. Um, sorry, short story, incredibly long. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time with emulation because one of the major public focuses of my channel is to talk about how I really do have faith in mobile. I believe you can do real work on mobile. I believe you can do real gaming on mobile. And while emulation is one of those ways that you can showcase both, I'm really trying to celebrate developers that are bringing good games to mobile directly. So if it's playing a good PC arcade game like Shredder's Revenge or Vampire Survivors, those two games have dominated my Steam Deck. And I can play both of them really well on a phone. And I want to show, hey, if you're going to spend a little bit more on a phone, maybe you don't need to buy a Steam Deck and you don't need to go through anything ridiculous to get games like that playing on your phone. 
Um, Shredder's Revenge requires Netflix, but Vampire Survivors is free. Like, legit free. <laughs> you just you just go get it. It's one of the games I racked the most time on. I think I'm almost at 170 hours on Vampire Survivors from when I got it on my Steam Deck. Like, th- that that's just there. So m- the focus, what I try to put out publicly is really supporting mobile, really trying to highlight developers doing good work and also supporting those developers. Like it doesn't matter if a developer puts out a great port of alien isolation. If no one buys it, we want to see that improve. I don't want to have to jump through emulation hoops to only get good games. If we can convince developers that there is money to be had in bringing those over right now, if you were a fan of old school, like 16 bit gaming, arcade gaming, like, a huge chunk of the Neo Geo library is available on Google Play. And the prices, I feel, are fair compared to, like, getting a subscription service for the Switch to play Super Nintendo games. You you buy these games once, and then you just own them. And each one is, like, its own little mini emulator. We know what that looks like. There's a tiny little Neo Geo emulator, and the app is kind of built into that, and the game is just a ROM of that. They're all really small files, and... If you were to buy the entire catalog, that would be really expensive. But, you know, they're like between 3 and $5 for a really good port of a classic, you know, beat-em-up or brawler or fighter. Or uh, there are a couple good, like, wacky sports games, uh, a racing game. Like, the Neo Geo library was pretty good. So I, I would much rather point people in that direction just to say, like, hey, we keep trashing mobile gaming But if you don't support the developers doing good work, then yeah, the only developers that you're going to find are the ones that are trying to rob people with gotcha mechanics. Like, that's bad. We don't want to let that eclipse the good work that's also available. We just need to promote it more. If we don't make the effort and we only point people, the only thing worth doing is getting a PlayStation 2 emulator, I guess I love those games too, but there are some really great titles that are even better to play already um like into the breach or alien isolation or we all of the rockstar games are available um i went through and replayed max Payne on a phone you know like stuff like that we can draw more attention to the odd world games super fun i mean come on that stuff is great that stuff is timeless and you can just get it for your phone and often at a, a price which i feel makes it Um, a reasonable comparison against setting up an emulator and downloading a ROM. The convenience might make, might make that difference. Sorry, that was a really rambling, I'm not trying to pick on the question. It's just, I get it a lot. Like, why don't I do more emulator testing? And to me, it's a philosophical stance. It's not a practical one. I totally get why people are into emulation. I actually do run, um, um, a doom emulator, uh, just because I have a whole bunch of Doom wads, like Doom 1, Doom 2, Heretic, Hexen, all the way up to Doom 3. And I do run those games out of an emulator, but that's because I, I had, I mean, like, I literally was pulling wad files off of CDs um, for Heretic and Hexen. So I had them. I just, I, I, I'm an old with tons of useless tech garbage, but, you know, like, I had my old Heretic and Hexen discs. So I pulled those, and like that's that's why I, I I haven't bothered trying to find another alternative for that. But I don't really spend a lot of time showing that off on 
on videos. I, I don't know anyone's going to be impressed that I can play Hexen on a phone. That's pretty easy. Like, you can play Doom. What's the funniest one I saw was someone loaded Doom on a pregnancy test. Like, if you can run Doom on the little, like, dot screen on a, on a really expensive pregnancy test, it's not impressive that I can run it on a $1,000 phone. <laughs> Oh, Barry Johnson, I know. I really want Xperia to do this. Uh, Barry says, I would freaking lose it 4K 120. If, you could, if we could do 4K 120 on that one-inch sensor, can you imagine the slow-motion footage that you would get off of a proper Super 16 film-sized sensor? And people are like, oh, you know, shoot cinematic, and Apple has cinematic mode. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is, this is more photographic. This is more cinematic. It's real good. It's real good. <laughs> oh, some chatter about the OnePlus 11. I, 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 can't, I can't talk about it. I really wish I could. <laughs> People like, oh, I really hope the OnePlus 11 isn't launched super expensive. I can't comment. So I'm just going to keep moving. Gormlord, this is a great question, uh, and, and I know I'm way behind on the chat, and I would like to catch up to the chat, but this is one that I like to put out there because I am super biased. I believe the most interesting conversations that we can have about pocket computers is how far we can push the pocket computer. I just recently wrapped up a review of the Surface Laptop, no, the Surface Pro 9 5G. So it's a Surface tablet, and it's running a Qualcomm SoC. And the immediate comparison is, well, but the Intel Core i7 version of the Surface Pro 9 is more powerful in these tasks. So it's not worth buying the SQ3 for the better battery life and the built-in 5G. And I, I, can, I can appreciate that. If you fancy yourself a power user who doesn't mind plugging in their portable tablet more frequently than an i7 is the way to go. I'm not making fun of that. I believe that person exists. I don't believe that the majority of tablet computer enthusiasts are prioritizing the highest tier of performance above being able to use their tablets longer out in the field. And when you compare a Surface... Pro 9 SQ3 Element OP 5G against, say, a Galaxy Tab S8, the prices are pretty similar when you fully accessorize with a keyboard and a pen and their 5G models with similar storage. But that Pro 9 is actually a more powerful Android tablet, can run full-fledged Linux applications, has a proper grown-up Windows operating system that can also emulate x86 apps has better support for alternative monitors and it's a pin tool. You take a little SIM card ejector tool and you punch a hole in the back of the tablet and that's all you need to get to the SSD if you want to upgrade the SSD. So you could buy the cheapest base model Surface and then when you want to put in a larger storage capacity it takes you about a minute. <laughs> you open up the kickstand and you go, 
and then you pop out the SSD and you put in the new one. It's one screw. It's just the one screw that holds the SSD in place. So, um, Gormlord is saying, are we at or close to a point where phones cannot practically take advantage of their SOC's power? The HN2 seems crazy. Um, I believe we are getting close. I believe we are hitting a diminishing returns plateau on the current way that we develop software for phones. And I believe that the main ways we can take advantage of more compute power, graphics power, AI power is by enhancing the ability to connect other accessories. I'm a big fan of portable monitors. I'm a big fan of laptop docks. I'm a huge fan of these new wearable displays that you put on your face. And as soon as you add a targeted accessory to a phone, you immediately get a whole new tier of use, of performance, of accessibility. It opens up so much. And I feel there's a huge missing consumer education component. I feel so many people are milk toast and underwhelmed by their phones because they're told over and over and over and over and over again, but don't change your, your, your behavior. Don't try to do anything different. You don't have to learn anything new, but this new phone is more powerful. This new phone has a better camera. And that doesn't mean anything. If you're in my chat, you know that means nothing. If you're in my chat on this podcast right now, if you take miserable, mediocre pictures with your iPhone SE and I move you up to an iPhone Pro, your photography isn't going to get better. And if I take that iPhone Pro out of your hands and give you a really fancy Sony mirrorless camera, your photography is going to get worse. If you have no interest or curiosity or desire to do anything more, then increasingly you need to look at spending less with every successive phone generation so that you can just stay at the plateau of your use. But if you're wanting to do more, there are very good reasons to step up. Now we're going to fight that fight on software. We really need more apps. We really need more services. We really need more accessories that are going to get this use out of the phone. And I think this starts with phones from 2019. If you have a phone from 2019, you are still grossly overpowered for most of the daily driver smartphone experience. A Snapdragon 855 is silly overkill for, I just like to scroll around on Twitter and check my emails. Like, you don't need that. That is, that is a, a Ferrari engine in a Toyota Corolla. Like, it is, it is insane performance for underutilizing that kind of chip. And you don't get any benefit. I don't see where you get any benefit out of future-proofing. Because our software and our services and our apps and our operating system updates all have to run on $200 phones, and developers don't want to lose the mass market of smartphone consumers that shop overwhelmingly between two dollars and $400. So going to spend $1,000 today because you're worried that the phone might slow down in three years is a complete waste, in my opinion, of the price and performance. You, 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 you shouldn't be concerned when the sort of standard is set at mid-range chips in the two dollars to $400 range. Android is suddenly not going to be so resource intense in two years that a $400 phone can't run it. A while back, I, I pulled out, I had an old Huawei, a Huawei Nova, 
with a Snapdragon 600. I think it was the 625. Someone please correct me on that. I probably have that wrong. Um, but I pulled that phone out, and like four years later, that phone was still a screamer. And it still had features that were competitive today. It had a great camera. It had a really nice screen. It could shoot 4K video. Like, four years on, there were no apps that were really stopping it. The only thing that would have slowed it down over that four-year period was battery degradation. If I had really been using it for four years, the battery would have been worn out. And that's why the phone would have been slow. None of the software was was making it blink. It was a screamer little mid-ranger phone when it launched. It's still a screamer little mid-ranger phone today. So I'm sorry, that was another really rambling, circuitous way to kind of answer that question. This is why, I, I mean, like why I said for emulating games, it's why I want to show like, hey, you can do this. You can do this kind of office work. You can log in. You can use web apps. You can you know, pull up Firefox as a browser and, and use it in desktop mode. I mean, there are so many of these different things that we can do to get more out of the tech that we already have. And if you're looking at upgrading, you should have an expectation that I should be able to drive even further. You know, if you if you wanted to upgrade to a better productivity phone, like a Moto was a really great bang for buck, and you should have an expectation like, oh, I really can leave my laptop at home if I can just plug into a monitor, or if I bring a keyboard and mouse, or if I want to invest in a little, you know, laptop dock. That is, I, I can do that. I can make that transition. <laughs> oh, and TK Bay's in the chat. Well, I mean, he's been in the chat. Like I said, I'm way behind the chat. I'm going to take another drink of coffee here and try and catch up on some of these comments real quick. Oh, Twin Folk. I had the S22 and hated it so much I didn't make a video on it. Aww. <laughs> Gary the Fireman. Exe knows. <laughs> I, you know, again, it, it's so... <clears throat> Ooh, excuse me. Got a, little, got a little froggy there. It's so funny to me because, like, we can definitely point to some of the performance issues on Tensor. Samsung building blocks are not giving us the full potential of what I feel a Tensor could be. But Google's design has proven to be a better implementation of Samsung's building blocks than what Samsung could do on their own Exynos. Sustained performance, compute performance, uh, graphics processing, ISP performance, going with two big cores seems to keep each of those cores running more manageably. And we end up with a product that performs better than the sum of its parts when we look at individual Samsung components. So the design matters, the fabrication matters, the the optimization matters. We know that Google is is putting a lot of software behind their hardware initiative. All of those things kind of have to be mixed together to deliver the final result. But we see Google doing that with Samsung parts and the experience seems to be better in my in my usage comparing like an S22 against a Pixel 7 Pro I would go with the Pixel 7 Pro I would really miss Dex but I would still go with the Pixel 7 Pro it's the better phone and I miss out on a on a fun lifestyle feature that adds value like Dex but the daily phone performance is is better so I'm going to go with that um 
it's funny. Like Samsung could not achieve that level of proficiency and optimization on their own hardware with their own software and with Google basically backing them up the most. Google is single-handedly propping up Samsung's development, and right now I think they're the only premier-tier customer of Samsung's foundry. AMD walked away, Qualcomm walked away, it's Exynos chips in the Pixel Watch, and it's, and it's uh, Samsung foundry tensors in the Pixel 7 Pro. I don't know of anyone else who's using Samsung foundry right now. So that's bad. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, ER1980, Dr. Ian Cutra's Tech Tech Potato showed how much battery the Tensor SoC pulls using the Samsung Fab process with even the efficiency cores. Um, And yeah, it could be better. I would love to see what Tensor could do if it were made by TSMC. That would be really exciting. That would be interesting to chart those differences. And I think we all know it would be better. (laughs) But it's still incredible to me that Samsung fabbing this chip off of Google's design, how much better the end user experience is with Google's design and Google's uh, software, so, uh, Google's optimization. Uh, from from Magus, Magus, I'm so sorry. I've never, I know I asked once, is it a hard G or a soft G? Magus, Magus? Um, If only I could find a controller that could map to Android well, anyone have recommendations? One of my controllers is downstairs right now, but I really like the SteelSeries Duo. It's a bummer that it's an older controller and it still has micro USB to charge, but it has a puck so that you can connect directly over USB, wirelessly, a wireless USB plug. Um, It can go as a cabled controller, or it can go over Bluetooth. And it does have a clip-on accessory, so it's it's a traditional controller, and you can mount the phone on top of the controller. I think that's one of the best... And, and you can usually find them on sale. They're, they're usually not prohibitively expensive. But I use that on my PCs. I use it connected to my laptops, and I use it o- over Bluetooth with devices. That, that has been one of the best all-rounder pieces of hardware. It genuinely is. The reason why I don't have it up here is because my wife and I were playing It Takes Two, and those are connected to our little gaming PC behind our TV downstairs. But if you want an, a dedicated Android kind of Kishi style controller, I've really enjoyed the Game Sirs. So this is the Game Sir X3. This is the one that's real fancy. It's got the uh, uh, Peltier cooler. What do you call this? An electrothermal? I think that's what it's called. Anyway, um, there's a pad on this, and there's a fan on the back. And when you plug in a separate power connector to the fan, this whole pad gets crazy cold. Like, it drops 30 degrees in a matter of a minute. And then you put your phone on the back of this, and if your phone is built well, so not a Samsung... Um, if your phone is built well, there should be like a vapor chamber or a graphite pad or something that kind of helps spread heat. And then this is just this massive cold source that extracts heat from the back of the phone and it stabilizes your frame rate phenomenally well. So I really like this game, sir. And it doesn't need to use the fan. You can just plug it in directly and use it as a regular kind of telescoping Kishi style controller But when you can sit down and plug into power, 
that Peltier cooler, phenomenal. So those are my two recommendations. Oh, and it's got a little app. It's a little bit better supported than the Steel series, where most games that are decently controller supported just recognize this and you go off and you play and it's great. Like Shredder's Revenge, you don't need to do anything. It's a standard controller layout. Um, but there is an app where you can map to the to the hardware. So if you want to map touchscreen presses, then I would also highly recommend checking out the game, sir. Um, I've really liked it. It's it's a little spendy. It's a little pricey. I believe the GameSir X2, the one without the cooler, was just recently on sale for like 50 or 60 bucks. Um, the X3, the one with the cooler, it's closer to 100, but that cooler is so good. Um, and it's really difficult to get a cooler attachment and a controller attachment to work separately. Like you have to pick one or the other. Being able to cut 10 degrees C off the back of your phone because of that heat extraction stabilizes our phone chips like nothing I've ever seen. They still run hot. They'll still start to throttle. But like your your game time at max performance hangs much longer than any other sort of uh, standalone phone gaming solution. <sighs> Sorry. I'm, I'm still trying to catch up here. <laughs> Um, Gabaletta, at some point, mobile SOCs will hit a point where they will need active cooling as they start consuming more power. I think we're coming close to the practical benefits of dye shrinks. Like, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here. And again, if you want to learn about this stuff, I would highly recommend checking out videos from Tech Tech Potato and Gary Explains. And they will do a more articulate um, and and a more learned uh, version of what I'm about to spew out here. But as we start doing die shrinks, the cost to set up a foundry to work on a smaller chip gets exceedingly more expensive. So those costs have to get rolled into the price of the consumer equipment. And that's why, you know, managing these transitions going from like five nanometers down to four nanometers, which is kind of like a five nanometer plus fabrication process. And now Apple, I think, is probably going to kick us down to three nanometers at the end of this year. The equipment to make that smaller transition is exceedingly more expensive. And going from five nanometers to three nanometers doesn't sound like a lot, but that is a significant reduction in fab size. And you're going to add billions more transistors to wafers um, as you start, you know, uh, printing and cutting these chips out of silicon, out of giant wafers. Um, The price, I feel like we're going to start hitting diminishing returns before we get to a point where active cooling is mandatory. Because once we hit a certain scale and the performance is just so good that it doesn't really make sense to keep pushing more expensive further, then we get to have another conversation about software optimization. Um, I'm really excited to try and check out this new Razer Edge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get my hands on one relatively soon because it, it just was sort of properly announced and launched. It's a $400 gaming handheld from Razer. I was kind of so excited about this, I went back... And I did a trip down memory lane and I pulled out my Razer Phone 2. Still, oh, it's actually still on. I thought I turned this off. Um, the screen's on. I can show it screen side. You know, I still have you know, the uh, um, 
the the uh, Nova launcher and all of the settings here. I've got games on this that have been discontinued and pulled from the Google Play Store. So I'm trying to keep this in as good a condition as I can. If I ever want to play a really great tower defense game like Sentinel, it only now lives on this phone. I can never wipe this phone out. I have to leave it in this state for the rest of its life. Because um, I love that game. But this hardware has been phenomenal. Razer can make some incredible hardware. Um, but I, I'm excited about the Razer Edge. Because what if we took a last generation SoC? The chip in that Razer Edge tablet is probably only a little bit more powerful than a Snapdragon 888. Or maybe an 888+. plus. But it's a dedicated chip focused on gaming with similar cores to a last generation or a two generation old phone. But it's starting at $399. And it's starting at $399 with a controller attachment that's roughly $100. So the little mini tablet itself is $299. And it's got a better screen than what's on my Steam Deck. And what if we cut all the phone stuff out of an Android? And we really focused all of the software and all of the performance just towards local gaming and game streaming. And I think that could be a really interesting, cost-effective way to make a mobile entertainment slate. It's a little mini tablet that's going to look better for watching movies. I hope it's got some features to, like, stream music and stuff. Like, I want it to be a dedicated standalone um, entertainment slate. And because it's roughly the size of a big phone, it's a little bit bigger than a big phone, and it's going to have a little telescoping controller attachment, it's going to be a lot more convenient to pack and carry than my Steam Deck. I believe a Razer's Edge would fit in something similar to my little hard case for my uh, GameSir X3. This is a lot smaller than my uh, Steam Deck case. So if we could cut all of that extra garbage out of Android as an all-rounder operating system for communications and telephone work and and calls and social media and all this other stuff, and we can kind of streamline the experience to focus on entertainment, a $400 Razer Edge and a $400 phone, I believe would be a better overall experience than an $800 phone. Like, I think you would get a better bang for your buck there. You would be able to play games with focus on a dedicated piece of hardware that's not going to kill your phone battery or make you look for a charger. And then your phone can just handle the communication stuff. And it can do a little light gaming and a, and a little sort of entertainment stuff and music streaming and, and all that on its own too. But you you divide your workload on two different products. So I think there's a really interesting price performance in there. When we can start talking about the next generation of software optimization, something like an 8 Gen 2 could be an even better performer if we could whittle back, if we could maybe step away from legacy 32-bit application support. Like all those little changes in software that happen over time, and we've got a whole bunch of legacy support that's built into all of our operating systems, and then we could separate all that out and make a product that's streamlined and focused for the next tier of performance would give us a whole generation's improvement. It, it, would, it would buy us time <laughs> before we hit that wall of, oh no, uh, we've, we've run out of room on Moore's Law.
Aw, Tech Level Mama's in the chat. Everyone say, hey, Tech Level Mama. ER1980, my son is still rocking the Pixel 4 XL with the Snapdragon 855. It's still a beast. It's a really good phone. Someone else just hit me up, too. Like, hey, it was a YouTube comment. And it was like, oh, yeah, I just bought another Pixel 4 XL. I replaced my old one. And you're like, that phone is such a good phone. It was like the peak of LTE Android phones. And I feel a lot of people kind of slept on what it did well. I mean, there were some gimmicks in there and the air gestures. I, I did a video. Air gestures are really hard to do well. It's just, man, that that phone was so good. It, it was the only phone that kind of pulled me away from keeping my SIM card in LG devices. Like, LGs were much better work computers, and the Pixel 4 XL was just such a better phone. <laughs> and I loved it. Um, Tech Level Mama, I'm actually not doing that a whole lot. Uh, asking, do you remote desktop your Windows? If so, what app do you use? I was just using sort of the standard Microsoft services to remote in. But genuinely, when I'm out, I tried to do the work from the phone. And it's exceedingly rare that I can't find some solution that will get my work done on the go. So I actually haven't tried any new... Um, remote desktop apps or any other types of services for that in a while. If anyone has a good recommendation for Tech Love and Mama, uh, drop a comment in the chat or hit, hit us up on social media or you can always drop a comment on somegadgetguide.com if you're coming to the audio version of this a little bit later. Um, yeah, see? Look at this. Uh, Fungi455, I joined a Zoom meeting from my phone on an external monitor using my phone as a high-quality webcam and compute unit. Phones are just for phone things. <laughs> See, but this is where we, as the nerds in this chat, need to reframe the conversation. What you've just described to me is a phone thing. I'm taking a video call. The primary tool at my disposal I don't want to have to come to my office or open a laptop and find a desk to put it on. The primary video call solution is using a phone. And if you can plug it into one additional tool, like a portable monitor or a TV, you have just wildly expanded the potential compute use of a phone. And that's its just beautiful. Chef's kiss. Mwah. I love to hear it. Fun guy. Absolutely nailing it. Um, snorkel. Uh, hell, I think the Snapdragon 765 was a brilliant processor for basic connectivity usage. Pretty efficient, fast enough for most chores, no heat generation or throttling. For the Pixels 5A, 5 and 5A, the Velvet, they still work well in my experience. Um, I'll go as high as the LG Wing. The 765 is a premium chip. It roughly performs CPU compute in the ballpark of a Snapdragon 845. I usually draw my line at the 855 because I feel that's when we really started outpacing this idea of the average consumer. That's where we really started like, this is way more power than you need to do basic phone things. The 845 was a great step in the performance, um, performance and power efficiency direction. Like 820, 835, 845, 855 are all good steps up in in performance and efficiency 
it's it's when we tick over from the 845 to the 855 that I go, <laughs> this is just silly. If you're just doing this kind of stuff on your phone, there is no point in you stepping up to a phone this expensive. The 765 kind of fulfills that. The 765 is still kind of OP for a ton of situations. And there really wasn't much of a drawback using a 765 in some of these other phones. A 765 and an LG Wing was one of my main B-roll cameras for a whole year. I wanted to go out, shoot 4K video. If I wanted to get anything kind of action cami or, you know, something that had better stabilization, I had the gimbal on there. The Wing was brilliant for that. And I really only stepped up when we started getting even bigger camera sensors, or I'd still probably be using phones like the Wing to shoot my outdoor B-roll. Um, oh, Sore Hunter, just adding a little note here. Uh, I have the GameSir X2. There's two versions, one with Bluetooth and another one with a USB-C connector. I, I did not know that the GameSir X2 had a Bluetooth version. That's pretty cool. Although I would still say if you wanted Bluetooth and you're going to go wireless anyway, maybe a more traditional controller arrangement like that Steel Series might be a better fit. I'm just saying... Uh, Twin Folk Tech, a Tensor by TSMC would be nuts. It absolutely would. I wish we could see what that flavor would look like, but we know Google and Samsung are real tight right now. Um, Gormlord, I have not seen this. Um, there's a bit of controversy over the Razer Edge due to some false advertising. Uh, someone shoot me a link or something like that? I'd be really curious to see what the advertising might have been like, because to me, it's been pretty straightforward. I mean, it's a lot of Razor. Razor likes to make a bunch of big claims and like aspirational, emotional marketing things, but I haven't seen anything that I thought was um, problematic. So if there's if there's a, a good link or a, a resource to check out, I've I've really been looking forward to it. Steam Deck has kind of changed my life, and I'd like to see if there's a way to join this conversation with arm powered because I feel like there's a performance conversation with AMD and Intel. And then there's a performance per watt conversation that we can have with, uh, with Android. Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people, producers and writers who deserve more attention. So here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet. And I hope you check out what they have to offer. Hey, what's going on, Juan? And all of you tuned in to today's show. I'm Nick Gray from Fandroid. I've known Juan for quite a few years now, and you may have actually heard my voice from back in the day when Juan used to host the Pocket Now Weekly. If you're not familiar with Fandroid, we were actually the very first Android news site to hit the web, publishing our very first article within hours of Google making their announcement about their mobile operating system. Of course, a lot has changed since then, but we're still here covering the news, reviewing new gadgets, and of course, sharing our passion for Android with anyone who wants to join in. You can find all of our work on fandroid.com. That's P-H-A-N-D-R-O-I-D.com. But if you love video, and I'm sure you do since you're listening to Juan's podcast, be sure to check us out at youtube.com slash fandroid as well. And that's going to do it. Juan, thanks for featuring us. Back to you. Oh, I would love to see something like this. Onscon saying, is it just me or does anyone else think someone should make a Kishi-style controller with a Steam Deck layout? I, I mean, like, yeah, that would be great. Those little touchpads are awesome. 
I've got a bunch of like point and click adventures and and like old school uh, kind of DOS style games. And you got a little mouse cursor, and it works so well. I love again anyone who's like this is a Steam Deck killer, and it's like yeah, it's got a regular sort of Nintendo Switch controller layout. That's not killing a Steam Deck. I love those touchpads. And the the, the most recent Aya concept, I think the 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 next Aya Neo that's coming out. It's going to be more powerful, but the big innovation, the big step, is that they're copying the touchpads. And let's see if it's anywhere near as easy to customize and to uh, map for different kinds of games. I'm skeptical. <laughs> oh, ha Sam, I'm sorry to hear that. I bought the Edge, and I'm super disappointed with the heat management and the device screen dimensions. So I'm, that's kind of a bummer. I really want to give it a spin. So, uh, again, if you've got some additional thoughts or if you've got, like, a video or something, let me know. Because I'd love, I'd love to see what your experiences are so far um, in what Razer... Razer has been trying to make gaming tablets a thing for almost 10 years now that I can remember. Um, this looked like it was a step in the right direction. So, hopefully... It's something that can be sorted for the performance. Um, oh, Ha Sam, they listed $399 with 8 gigabytes of RAM and then corrected that it's actually 6 gigabytes. Hold on, because TK and I were going through the specs, Razer Edge, and uh, we were showing like the spec sheet where it said 8, eight gigabits. So let me see if this still says 8GB here. Oh, man. Okay, I see what they did. Hold on, I think I can screen share this. Oh, the Razer website just dumped me back up at the top. This is interesting. I don't know why this would make such a big difference. Okay, so the Razer Edge comes in two flavors. There's a Wi-Fi version and a 5G version. I don't know that I'm super hot on the 5G version, but I, now I'm kind of interested in checking out what the pricing difference is. So if you go to the Razer website now, it says 6 gigabytes of RAM for the Wi-Fi model and 8 gigabytes of RAM for the 5G. And I swear, I'm going to have to go back and look at the stream last Thursday. I swear on Thursday it was 8 gigabytes of RAM on the Wi-Fi. Man, I'm going to have to really check that out. I, I, I genuinely don't remember. So let's see. If we visit Verizon.com for pricing, um, storage and price, 128 gig for $10 a month for 36 months. What's just the full retail price? $600. Um, what is, wait a minute. $10 a month for 36 months. Monthly payments shown are for customers who qualify to pay zero down. $10 a month for 16 for 36 months was 16.66 a month. I don't understand why that difference would matter. So if you're going to get a Razer Edge 5G, it seems you should get it on a monthly payment plan cuz then it's $360. Someone who understands the ins and outs of Verizon better, please explain to me the differences there. Or is it like you need to sign up for a separate line and then it's 10 bucks a month but you're paying for another phone line or it's 16.66 a month if you just add it to your bill. 
but the full retail price from Verizon for the 5G model, $600. That's a little bit spendy. I don't know that I care about the 5G that much. Because <laughs> I, I bought the 512 gig Steam Deck and I'm $50 more than the Razer Edge at 128 gig? 5G? Um... Okay, that's a bigger chunk of change than I was expecting. I was thinking that maybe it would be like, I don't know, $100 difference. Uh, I, was, I was definitely underestimating the ability of uh, a, a premium gaming brand like Razer while working with a premium carrier like Verizon to find uh, profit margins. <laughs> <laughs> something like the Razor Edge. Uh, wow, wow, yeah that that kind of that one kind of shocked me. I was thinking like four ninety nine. That to me, like again, you're doing the five G and the marketing and the branding, and Razor is not a cheap company. It's not a cheap brand. Okay, um, yeah, Gormlord, it's five gigs, five G, and two more gigs of RAM for. $200 more. Okay. Wow. Oh, McCorcoran. Okay, this is good to know. I'm going to look this up on Reddit later after the podcast. Razor apologized on Reddit to one of the customers and offered them a $25 gift certificate and told them they had 14 days to return it. Uh, be nice if they extended that return for people that got the wrong specs. Especially if they... I'm going to have to look that up. I'm going to look on our Thursday stream. If they had it listed... And people were buying on that initial first launch day, and it said eight gigs of RAM on the spec sheet. I would be bummed by that. The difference between six gig and eight gig could make a bit more of a substantial difference, depending on what kind of gaming and multitasking you're hoping to to look at. Um, yeah, and again, we're talking kind of base modely stuff. At four hundred dollars. I feel like a Steam Deck is going to be a better compute solution, and it's definitely going to be easier to maintenance, to crack it open, to like install a new SSD. You could go from that 64 gig Steam Deck to like a 256 or a 512 pretty inexpensively later into the Steam Deck's life, where a Razer Edge is going to be kind of that pie's been baked. Like you're not going to be able to upgrade a Razer Edge, but you can pop in a memory card if you absolutely need the storage. Um, at $400, depends on what you're mostly expecting that you're going to be doing for gaming. And I'm really curious to see, like, you know, if I'm playing Vampire Survivors and Nero Voider and um, uh, Shredder's Revenge and games like that, $400 or $400, it kind of doesn't matter. Um... And if I'm going to fill that out with some game streaming, like I've actually been game streaming on my Steam Deck a little bit more because you can play a similar game at similar to better quality and get better battery out of the Steam Deck when it's not cooking the internals to try and keep a frame rate higher. It, it matters. Like That kind of stuff helps. But if I'm going to game stream a significant portion of my gaming, then it doesn't matter what I game stream on. And I can have a more portable unit for $400 that that could make a smaller argument in favor of the Razer Edge. When we're getting up to 600, 
That's a little tougher. Yeah. I just don't know. I just don't know where... Because this person exists. This person exists who is looking for 5G connectivity. They're going to stream games over the 5G. They're really excited about that kind of idea of mobile and portable gaming. I genuinely believe there are fewer people excited about 5G game streaming than just buying a nice Steam Deck and rendering the game locally probably at a lower frame rate. You know, if you're telling me, like, hey, I can kind of play Hellblade at 30 frames per second directly off of my Steam Deck, and I can only play that game for a couple hours before the Steam Deck battery is dead, but I don't ever have to worry about the data connection, I'm I'm probably going to lean that direction when we're talking about an expensive gaming uh, solution, a $600 gaming solution. That is... You're, you're, you're cracking into, you know, PlayStation and Xbox territory at $600. There is someone who wants the 5G, and that's what they're going to spend the money on. I don't know that there are many of those people. Um, yeah. Woo! Yeah, that one's a bit much. <laughs> All right, it's already ten twenty-two. I've been rambling for almost an hour and a half. This is this is fantastic. This is exactly what I love out of our pajama podcasts, where we kind of just go. Um, yeah, five gig, five G, and two more gigs of RAM. I'm just catching up on the chat here. Be nice if they say it was listed as eight gig until this weekend, and then people started receiving them. Then yeah, that Razor's got to be real careful with how they handle that there, because that could be a class action. That could be some type of, of legal dispute uh, sort of as, as to how customers might have been misled. Um, oh, some chatter about people replacing parts on their V60. I, I don't know. Do you guys want to talk about the LG V60? It's kind of like one of the best phones ever made. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if we've got easy computer solutions in the chat or anything, but I think if we say V60, no, wait, we say LG V60, LG V60, LG V60, and then... Eric appears like Beetlejuice is, is how that works. So hopefully he's joining the chat right now. Um, do I have... Yeah, I've got my V60 right here. I've got my, vel- my Velvet dual display and my V60. My Encom computer LG V60 ready to go. It's pretty great. It's pretty much uh, one of the best phones ever made. Um, and currently still one of the most feature-complete phones that we'll ever see in the existence or history of smartphone design. Um, <laughs> DTNL, you can consider the Steam Deck killed. <laughs> so I had two whoppers back to back. I had the uh, Steam Deck video where I, I, I bristle. There is nothing killing the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck is already a killer. It's a gaming laptop killer. Um, and so many gaming nerds, just panties in bunches just their undies all twisted up oh no because i saw this one chinese handheld with more powerful uh, cpu and it's better and it kills the steam deck and you're like yeah it's a thousand dollar portable pc running windows 11 how about you pause the game and shut that windows powered peripheral off 
and then try to resume the gameplay. And let's see what happens. Because something tells me that the Steam Deck is going to do that way better. But let alone price to performance, uh, repairability, upgradability, the access to parts and services, a full out-of-the-box solution for buying games, not having to go through a Windows operating system to get directly to gameplay. I am very excited about boutique solutions. There are some phenomenal Steam Deck competitors, but for something to kill the Steam Deck, it has to be so much better in the arena that the Steam Deck competes in that we would no longer recommend the Steam Deck. And literally nothing like that exists. There is no Steam Deck killer. <laughs> like, that is not a product as of yet. Uh, it will happen. Eventually, something will kill the Steam Deck. Eventually, something will come along <clears throat> that is so dramatically better than the Steam Deck that I'm going to pick it up and go, okay, now this is the default recommendation. If you want to play your PC games on the go, your Steam Decks are still great, they're still fun, but this new product does all that better. That doesn't exist. <laughs> does not exist today. <laughs> um, oh, some, some conversations on things like cameras and, and tech and stuff like that. Um, from Mountain Dew Low, uh, cell service in my city, especially in my neighborhood, is trash. There's no way I'd be able to utilize a device targeted at 5G. I'm, I'm in the opposite boat. I, I was using another phone recently, and it doesn't have support for American 5G bands. And out in the burbs, man, the LTE support is garbage. All of the new updates and improvements have basically just been bolt-ons for 5G towers. So if I want any kind of reasonable mobile data, it's got to be 5G because the LTE is, is, is awful. I mean, like, in my office, I'm looking at, like, 5 megabit down, kilobits per second up on LTE. And then on the 5G, I've got reasonable HSPA speeds. <laughs> Remember? Like, HSPA actually topped out at, like, pretty fast data rates. And we still haven't improved the data like, we keep putting a faster Wi-Fi router on the same old DSL connection. In so many regions around the United States, it's like, the, the data center is still only giving you DSL, but now you can have Wi-Fi 6. It's so much faster. It's the same data connection. And that's what so many of these 5G improvements have felt on. Like, we bolted on 5G radios. Whoa, I've got a 5G, I did a speed test. It's exactly the same as what I had under HSPA. Or, excuse me, HSPA+. Plus. It hasn't changed at all. So I definitely feel that. What, what I mean is, like, we're talking about luxury devices. Being able to buy a dedicated gaming handheld is a luxury. Owning a console or a dedicated gaming PC that's different from your work machine is a luxury. And I don't want to diminish, like, $400 is not an impulse buy. $400 is a lot of money to spend towards your entertainment. But if you're making a choice between like a $400 um, gaming machine and you're looking at the cost of buying a new phone, you can make some strategic purchases there. Maybe it makes sense to buy this phone with this gaming handheld as opposed to buying a more expensive phone or a phone in a tablet or any of these other permutations of 
dollar to entertainment delight. So uh, <clears throat> someone out there is really excited about being able to stream games on 5G, and that is a person who can afford to live somewhere where they're probably right under a 5G tower of some kind, maybe even a millimeter wave tower for that Verizon UW super fast performance, and they're not going to move a whole lot. Um, someone exists like that. For more people, <laughs> I think the standalone performance is going to be more exciting for a longer period of time. McCorkran, <clears throat> hold on, let me take another drink of coffee here real quick because I'm getting McCorkran says, I still rotate my main SIM card between my V60, my wing, and a Pixel. So my SIM card is already now sort of moving to devices for 2023 and reviews that I've got coming up. But, I mean, it's like I've almost always got them relatively close and relatively handy. I mean, my, my surfaces are up on the shelf behind me. I've got my dual display LGs. The wing is right there under all of my Lego um, Hulkbusters. I, uh, yeah, I, you, we keep improving in some areas, but then you go back and you're like, when I was using this LG, I had everything. I was wanting for nothing. When I was using this velvet, I had almost everything. I was wanting for just slightly more CPU compute power. We just don't have that everything experience anymore, and it's kind of bugging me. The closest we have is the Xperia, which was holding my SIM card um, at the you know throughout most of the end of 2022. That was a really clumsy way of saying that, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a bummer. It really is. Yeah, Onscon. It, it can emulate. Uh, Oh, it can emulate Donkey Kong on the 3DS, no issue. The Velvet can't even do it at one times the res resolution, but the V60 Mozak came down at four times. It's, it's pretty good. I like it a lot. So, uh, Twin Folk, there are no Steam Deck killers, just some middling alternatives. Um, I don't want to diminish what a boutique solution can do. A boutique solution can give us more performance in a portable shell. We should all be excited about that, but that doesn't make it a killer. That just makes it a competitor. And what makes a Steam Deck so attractive is not performance at any cost. It's performance per price. And that makes it a delightful option for people who want to spend some premium money, $400 and above, and have never been able to move their gaming PC library off of a laptop or a desktop. And suddenly this whole new world of gaming, of, of mobile and portable gaming has just been expanded. And it's just been expanded at $400, maybe $500, maybe $600. For me, it was $650. Um, totally worth it. I'm gaming so much more on that than I ever would on a gaming laptop or here on my monster beefy workstation. It's changed my life. <laughs> and it's brought me back into PC gaming in a really big way. I believe there is excitement in finding a boutique solution that can jam, that can, that can even outperform the Steam Deck, but I'm not going to recommend that for most people shopping this because it's going to be significantly more expensive. It's going to have a significantly shorter manufacturing window. You're going to have way less support. You're going to have way less repairability. 
you're not going to have the same stock of replacement parts, the accessibility of replacement parts, or, or places that are going to be as familiar with repairing it if you don't want to do those repairs yourself. And I think SteamOS is a big draw. It limits some of the game compatibility because it's Linux and it, you have to go through Proton and not all games are going to work on it. But you've got this dedicated, streamlined interface getting you directly into games. And when you want to tinker, you've got a full Linux desktop that you can do some really radical stuff with. For emulators, for game streaming services, it's not difficult. So if you're already thinking, hey, I might want to mess with some of this stuff, it's not much different than like jumping through the hoops to get that stuff installed and recognized in Steam on a Windows machine without having to do all the Windows stuff. <laughs> like, I feel, again, pretty confident. I, 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 at some point, this, this conversation will change. This conversation, I feel very, very confident Nope. <laughs> there is nothing killing the Steam Deck. The ease of use, accessibility, out of the box, having a built-in store, having the, the variety of other ways that you can install or play games, and having the, uh, the manufacturing, accessories, and repairability. All of that wrapped up into a portable console that starts above, just above $400 is a gaming laptop killer. Um... And I've seen nothing yet that can convince me to change my mind on that. Oh, Gormlord. Yeah. Okay, so if you're looking at a Razer Edge 5G, Gormlord says, I'd spend the extra 50 bucks and get a Red Magic 8. That thing is wild and has active cooling. And that Snapdragon 8 Gen 2... I'm not saying that's the only way to go. And I still believe that there could be something interesting in having the dedicated gaming solution. I want to see what that software optimization looks like. I want to see if Razer's build quality is similar to my Razer Phone 2, which was an amazing gaming phone, in the same vein as now the new Red Magic. Um, but that little active cooling fan is pretty intense. You, 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 you could go pretty far on a, on a Red Magic. I still feel like I know a lot of people are going to point to Asus and, like, the ROG. I think if you're really serious about the top tier, the, the, the most crushing consistency and performance in gaming, the Red Magic is the phone to beat. That, that, you know you're not going to get the same software support. You know that the UI is going to be a little clumsy. But that fan, that hardware delivers performance like nothing else that I've ever seen. And I have the Red Magic 7 Pro, and that's on the 8 Gen 1, and that thing crushes. It gets pretty toasty, but it does things that like modern consoles can still kind of struggle with in like 120 frame per second 1080p gaming. <laughs> you you've not played um you have not played Dead Cells on the go until you've played it over a hundred frames per second. There's a phone that can do, there are a couple phones now that can do that and do it consistently and keep through a good long play session of a couple, you know, live, die, repeat roguelite sequences. It's the red magics. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm 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 way behind on all of this. This is this is get this is hilarious. Okay. Do do do. Yeah, Aditya L. It's just kind of sad. Aditya says it's kind of scary how hard it is to replace an LG V60 or an LG G8 feature for feature with one device. Um, from G8, V50, V60, and Velvet, if we position Velvet appropriately as the mid-ranger that it was, I, that we, LG went out on a high note and nothing has really caught it in terms of full features. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, again, it's, uh, you guys have heard me prattle on about all this stuff in the past. It's just... It's it's frustrating because we lost a lot and people are still acting like it's NBD because no one was using those features anyway. And I still see regular regularly, I still see people complaining about, oh yeah, I remember when my phone had this. And you're like, it still could have, if you cared about that feature, you gave your money to the wrong company. Uh, McCorcoran, absolutely agree. It looks awesome. The GDP Win 4 looks pretty compelling, but it's $999. Yes, that thing looks awesome. And again, if you were thinking like, hey, the main thing that I want to do is game on the go, and I could spend $1,000 on a gaming laptop, which would be good, or I could spend $999 on a GDP Win 4, I think the GDP Win 4 is the better buy, so long as you're factoring in what I said before on things like repairability and parts availability and service and maintenance. Absolutely. But that doesn't kill the Steam Deck. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I'm way behind on, on... You guys keep, like, bl- blasting ahead on the chat. Um, from Mountain Dew, I wish I had that kind of money for a Sony Xperia phone because they have almost everything that I want. The prices are what is stopping me from getting one. Unfortunately, um, Sony is a brand that is premium. It's a premium brand. We got used to Android manufacturers rapidly devaluing their products and selling them off at fire sale rates. So like, LG got caught in that trap where they kept making less and less expensive phones. Like from the V40 to the V50, we saw prices sort of hover, even though we were starting to add 5G. And then from the V50 to the V60, we saw a significant price drop. The V50 was $999 at launch. The V60 was $799 at launch. And you could often get the dual display case for free at launch. It's like an $800 phone versus a $1,000 phone. But then nerds would still say things like, well, don't buy it because it's going to go on sale. And then when they're basically sort of out of manufacturing and people are just trying to get rid of them, they're trying to get them off store shelves, you can get a V60 for like four or $500. And yes, that's an amazing buy. And you can do that a couple times. And then that company decides that they don't want to make phones anymore, or they don't want to make your kinds of phones anymore because they're too expensive. So Sony is not that kind of company. Sony is that kind of company where they go to their consumers and say, we think we know better than you, and this is what we believe our products cost. And occasionally there are some sales, but nothing like fire sale. Like, we saw some good deals on an Xperia 1 Mark IV and an Xperia 5 Mark IV. Nothing like an LG fire sale to get rid of old inventory. I think, like, Sony is too proud of a company and they manufacture in much more limited quantities so that there are not devices sitting on store shelves for an extended period of time. 
they now fulfill demand in China first because that's their hottest area of growth and their highest tier of sales. Then they hit Japan. Then they hit the EU. Then they hit the United States. We're getting their leftovers. By the time this device is hitting the United States, they have fulfilled pre-orders and sales in every other region. Um, That's why you probably won't see the same kind of radical devaluing because they're not building ahead of demand. They're trying to build more with demand. And that burned Samsung last year. Samsung had, halfway through the year, Samsung had an estimated 50 million phones in warehouses that were not accounted for in sales or pre-orders. They were sitting on stock and inventory. And that's also one of the reasons why Samsung plays all of these dumb games with pricing the phones really high, but then giving you a trade-in deal or putting the phone on sale three weeks after it's launched. The phone really isn't worth its MSRP. And Samsung kind of knows that they're making a, a product to fleece their consumers they're making a product that sort of scams their early adopters. The people who are going to buy right at launch and they're really going to trade in and they're really going to do this and they're shop all these sales. They're so, so savvy. They're not really getting that much better of a deal, <laughs> especially if they're buying like the base model parts. If you're buying the ultras and the higher storage tiers and you're getting some of these deals and shopping some of these trade-ins, like I think you're, you're in better shape. But man, people out there got stuck with S22s and those phones were not good. So Sony is like, if you want to find more phones with those kinds of features, we have to do a better job of letting manufacturers know, I am buying a Sony Xperia. I am buying it for a headphone jack and a memory card slot. Motorola, Google, Samsung, Apple, you did not get my premium phone money because I chose to buy for these kinds of features. And if more consumers saw that, and if more Sony uh, customers made a point of messaging on that, we might see a few other brands try like a boutique option. I don't see why there couldn't be a Samsung Pro, a Pro phone, memory card slot, pros need upgradable storage, a headphone jack, pros need input and output for audio routing, Uh, an option for a dual display case because Samsung makes great screens, you could add these features LG V60 style. And with stylus support like a note, but maybe you have to buy the pen separately. I mean, like there could be a, a limited run of that if enough consumers showed the demand for those kinds of services. But right now, what we do is we get into a holding pattern of, well, I'll wait, or maybe I'll buy the Xperia 1 Mark III when it's cheaper, and then that message never really carries to the other manufacturers. They're never feeling any pressure to change their business practices because people are like, well, I'll keep buying the Samsung because I'm getting the good trade-in deals, but I really hope they bring back a headphone jack, and you're like, they never will if you're still buying their products. Apple's never going to bring features back if you keep buying iPhones, <laughs> you're going to say, well, no, our business model works. We're making more money than we ever have in the history of consumer electronics. People must like it that they have to jump through hoops to get the same basic uh, features that we used to give them built into their phones. And that's where we're stuck. I mean, it's really not going to change until a few more people really start making the effort to explain 
why they're walking away from the current uh, smartphone market. Oh man, yeah, they're, they're yeah. I, 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 still a lot of chatter going on with LG V60s. Twin Folk Tech is saying, I'm ready for that Android 13 update on the V60. I'm anxious. I feel like pushing to Android 12, we're, we're running into the limits of like what that software can do polished up. And I'm really hoping if we get Android 13 on the LG V60, that what few engineers are left in LG's software division have really spent some time polishing up that experience. Because if it's just sort of like, hey, yeah, we can push it out, and it gets by the carriers, and they're like, yeah, whatever, that could wreck the V60. We've had this kind of like on again, off again, where the earliest updates, and especially pushing over into a new operating system, um, usually degrades performance, and then we need some bug fixes, or it wrecks battery life, and then we need some bug, bug fixes. I want to say it was the Android 11 update where there was a bug. If you used the fingerprint sensor, it would max out all of your CPU cores at 100% and your battery life would plummet. And it took it took a couple months, I think, for that patch to fix it. But like, I don't want to get stuck on Android 13. And then they're like, okay, well, that's the last update. And you're like, oh, no, my phone is broke. <laughs> Hey, podcast listeners, I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to somegadgetguy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for support some gadget guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some one more headphones, sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. Head on over to SomeGadgetGuy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. Uh, some chatter about Android Auto. Aditya Anil, Samsung are screwing over their day one adopters, their biggest fans. Uh, GG, Samsung, congrats on the capitalism. I, I you know, I, I feel like Samsung is still operating with this momentum, like, they deserve to be the de facto recommendation, and I just don't see how they've earned it. These last couple of years, I don't see how they keep getting this. And they're not even spending that much on, well, they're spending a ton on marketing. But it's not like they were after the Note 7. For three years, Samsung was one of the top ad spenders in the entire consumer market. And for like two of those years, they were outspending Procter and Gamble, <laughs> all of the brands of Procter and Gamble. Now they've 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 scaled back, and I want to say over twenty twenty, over twenty twenty one, I think they spent something more like four billion on marketing. That is a ridiculous amount of money, but 
spending only four billion on marketing, we saw another year of sales decline. <laughs> From the S10 at the peak of their ad spending to the S21 at sort of their more bottomed out traditional ad spending, we saw a 40% drop in Galaxy S sales. Over 2022, Samsung estimated at the beginning of the year that they were on track for 300 million phones. They had to revise their estimate down to 270 million phones, and then they couldn't even meet that. They ended up somewhere in the ballpark of 260 million phones. Still a lot of phones. It's a big drop from what they were hoping to achieve at their top estimate. And in that estimate, they were on they they were they were saying they were going to sell a record number of Galaxy S. They were estimating between 30 and 35 million Galaxy S phones. Man, this is going to be the Galaxy S's year. And that means all of them. S S22, S22 Plus, S22 Ultra. All of those phones combined, they were going to shoot for 30, 30 to 35 million. And they ended up somewhere more around 25. Which puts that puts the entire total of Galaxy S phones somewhere around the iPhone SE 2021. Is it the 20? No, 2022. So I believe the iPhone SE sold somewhere around 20 million units as a last place, like one of the least desirable iPhones. The Galaxy S22 across three phone models was just barely edging out the iPhone SE by itself. And it was just absolutely decimated by the iPhone 13. Not the iPhone 13 Pro, not the iPhone 13 Pro Max. The iPhone 13 destroyed the combined sales numbers of the S22, S22 Plus, and S22 Ultra. It's... Man... We, we keep going into this. Look at all of the people that are trying to hype up their affiliate links. Oh, you can save 50 whole dollars if you pre-order for an S23 net with my affiliate code. And I get it. I'm starting to do more work with like affiliate links and sponsored videos. This is something I've been a little reluctant to do on my channel in the past, but I'm trying to break out and have other conversations. And there are companies that are wanting to support those conversations. I'm... I'm getting more interested in this kind of stuff to kind of help uh, sort of uh, subsidize some of the production on this channel. Um, but like Samsung is not getting premium Android done. Not, not in the way that we act like they're the default. And that's what's most frustrating is when Samsung underperforms, all of premium Android is kind of tanked along with Samsung. Yeah, Tech Love and Mama. I'm one of those that does the that does the trade-in deals, but only if I can get the same or more for my phone I'm trading in as if I'm if as if I sell outside of trading it. And I think that makes sense. Um, but I also feel like the way that Samsung structures their trade-ins and then the way that they also do sales radically devalues what their products should cost like six months into their life. It wasn't, it didn't take long for Galaxy Z Folds to start dropping substantially. Like 
you could go to Swappa, get a a like mint condition upgraded storage Z Fold for just a little bit more than half the price of their base model foldable. Like it launches at $1,800 because that's what they want the MSRP to say so that then they can ply you with these really great trade-in deals. But then almost immediately, I want to see what, let, let's, let's take a look. Samsung is going to announce a whole bunch of phones and I bet you that they will be in consumers' hands within a week of the big unpacked event. And I'm going to say a month from then, you will be able to find S23s at near trade-in prices if you just buy them outright on Swappa. So let's say that you could get up to $100 off and that you would get bumped up to 256 gigs of storage. I'm going to say within a month, you'll be able to just buy an S23 at 256 gigs of storage outright on Swappa for about what you would have paid with a good trade-in or with a good early sale, like your pre-order sale, up to $100 off. That's, that's where I'm putting it. 256 gig, about $100 off, Swappa, one month. I bet you we're going to see one month. <laughs> oh, we have a couple of V60 people in here. Yeah, I, I did have that CPU bug with Android 11. That was such a, again, because like that's where I really started taking my SIM card out of the V60 was just for a bit because like, man, I don't want to burn this phone out. I am babying my V60. I'm taking care of this phone. I want it to last until like it completely falls apart. Um, and that one, that one really bummed me out, but it got fixed. And LG actually did a really good job of kind of uh, uh, refining and optimizing the phone. <clears throat> Oh, Braygrade did a trade-in for his Pixel 7 Pro. Uh, but that's because Google showed the actual value of their new phones. Well, and I feel like they're also making a strategic price-performance uh, argument for the Pixel. Because they're not winning benchmarks, and they're definitely not the top-tier gaming solution. But they're trying to arrive at a price performance that makes a bit more sense for a lot of the ways that people use their phones and their 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 camera performance really can't be topped for that simplicity point and shoot kind of camera experience so you pay you still pay premium cash but they're not especially if you look at like a pixel 7 not the 7 pro like that is a screamingly good deal in nice phone territory <laughs> McCorkerin, the Z Fold 3 is $480 on Swappa at times. The Note 20 Ultra, 300 bucks these days. S21 Ultra, $370 on Woot. To me, that's where the value is. Yeah, again, uh, if, you, if you go a little older and you can kind of shop this stuff devalued, then yeah. I mean, that price performance is is exceedingly good. Oh, and TK is correcting me. This year, we can only get $50 credit on Samsung. So if you hit those crazy great pre-order affiliate links, you'll get yourself 50 bucks. <laughs> you know what that $50 used to be able to go towards was a really good memory card. 
uh, for 50 bucks, you could get a really nice 512 gig card. And I know this because I have one in my Steam Deck. I have a 512 gig Steam Deck. I have a 512 gig card in my Steam Deck. It's pretty great. Can't complain. It's really nice. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like you should give me the uh, SD card slot back. I'd, I'd be way happier than getting a $50 credit on a pre-order. I'm, I'm conflating costs. Like, like Samsung could do that. Like, oh, well, it's $50. There you go. I'll put your SD card back. <laughs> Man, that's hilarious. All right, folks. Um... Oh, McCorkran, let me just do this one and we'll start we'll start we'll start doing our wrap up. I really meant to kind of like talk about other like geeky and nerdy things like we could chat about movies and stuff. It just seems like Samsung is on the brain because Unpacked is a day and a half away and I'm just not feeling I I, I wasn't excited about Unpacked last year. I wasn't excited about Unpacked the year before. I'm not excited about Unpacked this year and I really just hope that consumers interested in a nice phone at a higher price point, don't get wrecked like they did on the S22. So, um, McCorkran, I've heard anecdotes of people paying $300 for a Z Fold, but I have... Oh, so but you would personally see if it... Uh, you would avoid that unless... I, I don't understand, but I have him personally seen it unless there's been damage. I think I understand what you mean. Like, you can get a silly good deal on a foldable because, like, if they've scratched the screen or if they've gotten something gunked in the, in the hinge, it's going to be a lot cheaper because there's been damage. Um, you have the point holds buying it at launch is probably not a great value proposition. So, um, I am one of those people where I can make a specific argument about why someone would maybe want to buy a phone earlier and at a higher price. Um, I actually made this argument on, where is it? Pardon my chair creaking here. So this is my Moto Edge Plus. Uh, This is the 2022 Moto Edge Plus. This is one of the most powerful phones of last year. It's not one of the best battery life phones of last year. It it does get outperformed by some of the later phones that had the 8 Plus Gen 1. But at its launch, it was on sale for $899. That's a lot of money. It's a $900 phone. But it came with 512 gigs of storage for $899. It has the best desktop mode at $899. At any price, it is the best desktop mode. But you're getting it for significantly less than sort of a comparably specced Samsung. And it has stylus support. It doesn't have a stylus in the phone like some of their less expensive uh, stylus-enabled phones. But you have to step up to the note. A, a Samsung, like you have to go above a thousand dollars to match all these things to compete against the Moto at eight ninety nine. I feel like at launch that was a good buy, and what you're doing is you're buying a phone that you know is going to perform at a tier where you can leave other expensive products at home, and you're paying for that performance. You're paying for that compute power. I might have been a little frustrated because later in the year. This phone went on sale for like what four ninety nine, and then you could even find coupon codes to get it closer to like four hundred dollars, and that's the LG effect. The phone is worth eight ninety nine. 
when you really do, like use it for all the things it can do, if you bought it outright, right when it first launched as an unlocked option, and you got that 512 gigs of storage, and you got ready for, and you got pretty reasonably good cameras and stylus support, this phone is punching above 899 For me, if I'm depending on a phone to get a higher caliber of work done, I'm good spending more on the phone. And I'm willing to factor in, I got the phone first, I spent $899 on it, I used it for four months at, you know, its, its sort of initial price before it fell and it, and it got cheaper. That means, that means I had four months of using the phone that I wouldn't have had if I'd waited. So that's four months of having more access to, to compute power, of having a better desktop mode, four months of better productivity... I, it would have stung a little to see it closer to $400, but I was using it that whole time before it went on that crazy sale. And that's the accelerated window of how our phones work, but I kind of get it. If you're depending on your phone to really get some heavy lifting work done, you buy the phone when it comes out, you're using it for that period of time. I'm not confident that that Samsung window is going to be very long. The Moto was was multiple months before it fell below that $899 sale price. I, like, I want to say full MSRP was $999, but it launched at $899. And I feel fine saying it was an $899 phone. And then I think it was like four or maybe five months before it dropped below that $899 price point. I don't think a Samsung is going to last four months before it gets a ridiculous sale. <laughs> and that's what's kind of a bummer. Like, there was a pretty good sale on the Xperia 1 Mark IV, but nothing like the kind of price devaluing that we'll see on a Samsung or the fire sale pricing that we'll see from, like, old LG days. So if you buy an Xperia in its launch year, you know you're going to spend a lot of money. You might find a sale or you might get a good, like, combo where it comes with earbuds or headphones, but it's not in that year going to drop to half price. That usually doesn't happen with an Xperia. So if you want one of the best camera performers on the market and you care about shooting higher quality video and you want that sports action photography autofocus, then you need to buy an Xperia. And when you buy it in its launch year, you don't have to worry as much that it's suddenly going to be a third the price in the same year that it launches. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Marilyn, I, and again, if you're, if you're in that kind of trade cycle, I will purchase the new S23 Ultra depending on how much they give me for the S22 Ultra as long as my output is about $500. And even then, I, I would say this is probably a good year to sort of wait and see like how sales and trade-ins affect the price of these phones within a month or two. And we'll have to see what fundamentally is different or better going S22 to S23. That one-year cycle is really difficult to justify. This year might be a little bit better for specific applications of gaming and heavier computing tasks. If you're telling me you're editing and rendering video, you might want to try and flip from a 2022 phone to a 2023 phone. 
You're telling me you really want the best gaming performance? You might want to flip a 2022 phone for a 2023 phone. But if you're not really maximizing those kinds of use cases, it might not be worth the 500 bucks. <laughs> um, Gormlord, I haven't run into any significant issues running games. Uh, Gormlord's asking if there are any problems running games off of a, an SD card on the deck. I'd like to know for when I eventually get one. I have to believe that at some point you're going you're gonna to wear out that card faster for that kind of access and reading and writing. And, you know, you're, you're putting some wear and tear on a little SD card. But, um, like, so far, the, uh, the read speeds and the write speeds have been perfectly capable of keeping up with PC gaming performance. The bus that supports the card is handling that kind of uh, data access fine. And, and I'm going into this thing like, you know, I spent, you know, like 50 bucks on this SD card, so it's not cheap, but it's not prohibitively expensive to double the capacity of my Steam Deck for the games that I want to run off that side. So... It's been fine. I just know at some point it, it'll probably crap out sooner than if I were only using that SD card for, like, v- content creation. Like, if I have a 512 gig card in my GoPro or even in my Panasonic's, like, my, my production cameras, the card will probably last longer with that kind of write activity than read-write on a Steam Deck. So you just kind of have to go into it knowing that. But... I'm also looking at, at some point, I'm going to pop in a terabyte SSD, and I'm also looking at other docks and solutions that I can maybe keep a, a, a portable SSD uh, connected to my Steam Deck. I, in, in transferring to the 512 gig card, I was using my little portable SSDs to manage the migration of my, my games and stuff. So uh, it worked really well. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a part of me, I want to find a way to like, maybe Velcro another terabyte <laughs> and then go through the USB-C port instead of the SD card. It, it's just fun because like the Steam Deck is giving me all of these options where phones have started getting rid of that kind of management. I could go SD card. I could pop in a new SSD. I could add a, a USB SSD. I've got a headphone jack. I can go to a Linux desktop mode. I can use it as a computer. I can plug in glasses or a monitor or a display or... I, it's really a lot of fun. That kind of tinkering is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Twin Folk, the Moto was super slept on. It was really disappointing. Is it's a it's still, I think, the best productivity phone of last year. Um from Fungi455, I know this is ending, but there's one thing I strongly dislike about Samsung people, how they seem to believe that Samsungs are immune to thermal throttling. The S22 Ultra doesn't throttle with HN1, but every other brand does. Um, I want to have fun with the gamesmanship, but I kind of get what you mean. I like, I, I miss when sort of the brand fandom was was passionate, but kind of immaterial to the discussion of these products. Like, if you're an iPhone guy, you're an iPhone guy. If you're a Samsung guy, you're a Samsung guy. But right now, there is a vested financial interest in supporting Samsung in your production. And that really colors the broader tech conversation because you make more money when you position Apple and Samsung more favorably because of the inherent popularity 
of those brands on the YouTube algorithm. So that to me is the biggest problem. I can't tell creators to back off that because that's how they're making money for their channel and that's how they're sort of subsidizing their production and making a living. It's not, I don't believe it's totally on them, but I like to call out the laziest trends because I feel they're informed by looking at your YouTube metrics. Oh, YouTube does a better job of sending out my video when I've got keywords like Apple and Samsung in every single video, and that's being fulfilled and sent to the people who subscribe to my channel. And when I stray from that, YouTube punishes my videos by not sending them out as aggressively or putting them in as many search results because of these less popular keywords in all of, uh, in all of my productions. I feel YouTube is becoming a toxic gatekeeper to that conversation. So a part of this, we need to call out lazy trends. I don't think it's any specific reviewer or content creator or influencer, or whatever we're going to call them this week. They're being strong-armed by the platform. I think it's more important to go to the top. Where is the biggest source of this problem? It's in how the platform prioritizes information and cultivates the feed of the end user. Because YouTube only cares about time on site. They don't care about journalistic integrity. They don't care about consistency. They care that more people keep their eyeballs on YouTube as long as they possibly can. So that's where they're going to put their money and their effort and their initiative. And we need to point out that this platform has become toxic to that broader conversation if you care about this kind of nuance. We should wholly expect that if you talk about a smaller brand like a Moto, it should get less traffic than a Samsung. But we can't comparatively... Uh, discuss these different solutions for the right consumers if we allow YouTube to tell us that there's only one foregone conclusion brand and that everything else is sort of a whipping boy so that Samsung's can win. A OnePlus only exists so that Android enthusiasts can point to a phone and shake their head and do Excedrin headache poses in their thumbnails. OnePlus is only making phones so that they can lose to Samsung in comparisons. Because if they wanted to make gooder phones, they would just make gooder phones. But they, they aren't, because they don't care. <laughs> like, if you really feel like it's that cut and dry, then you're really bad at tech. And those are exactly the kinds of people that I've just taken to muting in my YouTube comments. Because like, you've brought nothing to the conversation if you wasted everybody's time and we're all dumber for having interacted with your comment. So I'm just going to make sure that people can't interact with your comments anymore. It's, it's a bummer because, again, it's really complicated. But if you look at a lot of the larger YouTube channels, they like products when they're already popular. A bunch of consumers really started liking the Surface Pro. And then it started getting good reviews. It wasn't a fundamentally different tablet PC in Gen 4 as it was in Gen 3, but it was getting searched for and it was getting reacted to more positively, and creators were making more money on that content. And then suddenly, my earnestly held opinions of the Surface got so much better. It looks like Microsoft is finally doing this right. Aren't we so happy? Don't you feel gratified, Surface consumers who are coming to my video after you've already purchased the Surface? I'm not a tastemaker. I'm just following the trend of what's already popular on YouTube. And that's what so many of these channels are doing. Which is a plug for the subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. If you'd like to change some of that, 
if you'd like to have a broader conversation and support channels that you feel deserve more attention, there's a subreddit for that. <laughs> Reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm waving. I said I was going to wrap this up, and now it's 11.11, um, which is the right time to wrap this up. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me get this back here. I'm, I'm, I'm catching up. Doo, doo, doo. Um, okay, Bryant Billing. A couple more comments, and then we're out. Brahma's uh, says, I don't know one. I do light video editing on Adobe Rush, and the S22 Ultra just chews through it. Ditto the Tab S8 Ultra. I think HN1 is still plenty capable. Really hard to justify a $500 upgrade. It depends. So you're immediately you said light editing, and that's fine. And you're probably correct. Um, but if you catch my IQ 11 uh, conversation, the improvements are pretty significant going from 8 Gen 1 to 8 Gen 2. They're a lot less significant if you're talking 8 plus Gen 1 to 8 Gen 2. And if you're doing more than light editing, like let's say you're a travel influencer or a vlogger and you're really doing a big chunk of your career and it matters that you can pump out a video a little bit faster. It matters that you've got more battery life getting to the end of that video rendering, that creator is going to make a choice. There is a product that does video content creation faster and better than the 8 Gen 1 in the Galaxy S22 Ultra. You could go with the Pixel 7 Pro and get video editing done quite a bit faster, but probably not with better battery life. Or you could go 8 Gen 2 and get both. <laughs> Almost tensor grade video editing and a better performance per watt. So if your work depends on that, it might be worth it. Because we're talking about the kinds of upgrades that people spend a lot of money on GPUs to get. I mean, think about the difference. Like, I've got a 2080 Ti in my rig. I didn't bother going to, like, a 3080. It was an improvement, but it wasn't really enough of an improvement to justify the incredible costs and gutting my PC and the downtime it would have taken to install, it wasn't worth it to me. I'm now more seriously looking at a next gen, like a 40 series or maybe an AMD GPU. But like for right now, my 2080 Ti is still kind of cranking for what I need it to do. I'd have to spend a lot of money to get a good like 20% bump to my video rendering speeds. It's hard to do the math on that. But that's the kind of improvement that we're looking at from 8 Gen 1 to 8 Gen 2. I mean, it's, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> and it runs better per watt, and it runs longer out in the field, and you can do more before it thermal throttles. So it really depends on what your, what your needs are. A little light editing in Adobe Rush, you're right. That's not worth spending $500 on. But you know, if I'm doing trade show coverage all from my phone... Man, I don't want the 8 Gen 1. I'm going to want to move to something else. I'm going to want to move to a Vivo with a 1-inch sensor and a MediaTek 9200 over that 8 Gen 1. Or, uh, you know, my Xiaomi with an 8 Plus Gen 1 and a 1-inch sensor. That, to me, is totally worth spending a lot of money on to get both of those improvements. So again, it's not to pick on you, and it's, it's, it's like when we qualify what it is that we're talking about and what needs we have and how far we want to take that performance, 
I totally believe there's a, there's someone out there that will benefit. They will make more money. They will get their work done faster. It's going to improve their workflow. That person is not common, but that person deserves a choice to be able to step up to that kind of super user, <laughs> mega user, a real pro user kind of uh, smartphone option. All right. Uh, I'm just going to... Yeah, McCorkerin's talking about FOMO. There's so much going on in the chat right now. I really got to go. It's 11.15. We're going to wrap this up. Hey, folks, this was a really lovely pajama podcast. Again, just kind of hanging out and rambling. And I know I always get stuck, like, way behind on the chat in these kinds of videos. But I'll be curious. I really hope we see some exciting stuff from Samsung. At this point, I think the only thing they could do disruptive would be really aggressive pricing. Because I don't see where the company has sort of the, uh, I, I don't see where they've got the, the, the resources to do something dramatically better for the tech to keep prices higher. I hope I'm wrong and I hope they release something and it's a awesome and it's an amazing improvement over the S22 and I just don't see it. I don't see where Samsung has it. I think their big change is going to be, hey, we made our phones more like LGs. They did it with the S22 Ultra. You know, the little individual camera modules, they cribbed that from the LG Velvet. Cool. I have that on my velvet. It's right here. These little, these little circle, you know, just built into the back of the phone. It's really nice. I'm glad Samsung saw the light and they copied one of the phones that people were trashing the most when it came out. The LG Velvet deserved way better consideration than any tech reviewers ever gave it. And it's still one of the best all-time phones ever made. I've got all of my little magnet adapters on it, so it looks silly having this thing sticking out the back of my velvet. But that... That was just happenstance. Um, I feel like that's what we're going to get. We're going to get an S22, which is basically a copycat of the sides of an iPhone and the back of an LG. And it'll have an HN2. So, cool. That sounds great. All right, guys. Uh, thanks so much for watching. Uh, for those of you who are live here in the chat, if you're catching this on the replay, thank you so much for catching the replay crew. Um, there's going to be a bunch of conversations and stuff. This is Samsung week, so this is un- unescapable. Um, this is the Samsung onslaught of our YouTube channels and our tech blogs. Uh, so I feel we'll have a lot more to say. Uh, TK and I will be covering uh, the unpacked announcement, hopefully. So I think TK is actually going to be uh, on the show floor for unpacked, I think. Uh, if he's still in the chat, he can correct me on that. Um, but there's going to be a, a more proper accounting of everything that's going on when we, when we get to Wednesday and everyone releases their, I've had the S23 for two weeks now and it's perfect with no bugs and my Samsung never lags and TouchWiz is the best. I mean one UI and that's fine. <laughs> I just don't, it'll be, it'll be what it is. So we'll, we'll, we'll catch up and we'll, we'll, we'll hit it all out there too. But for until then definitely make sure you're, you're kind of keeping up with all of the other tech creators around the web. There are going to be some great streams coming from Gadget Goddess, Easy Computer Solutions, Ike Talks Tech. Uh, I'm sure we're going to see another video out this week, probably from Barry Johnson. He's doing some great stuff. Uh, LaShawn streaming on Friday. El Jefe Reviews probably wrapping us up over the weekend. I know I'm missing some folks in there. So definitely kind of keep up with everybody out there and then try to try to help out. Uh, try to support the content over at reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles. 
Just give a few little upvotes and a few little comments and you can really make a creator's day if you can help them find a bit more audience, get a few more eyeballs on their videos and, and tell the YouTube algorithm that you care. Because right now the YouTube algorithm knows that we don't care because we don't do anything other than consume what it puts in front of us. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show. Proper Monday morning news format, gadget blog format with a lot to talk about um, after the Samsung reveal. And a couple other phones that are going to be making some noise too. <laughs> Embargo. So uh, be safe. Take care of yourself so you can take care of others. Treat yourself well. And I hope to see you back here next week for another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show. Be safe. I love you all. I'll catch you back. Recording voiceover, spoken word, is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration, and I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly slash betterphotosbook to grab your copy today. Okay.